Let's have a word of prayer, shall we, before we begin our sermon today. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for getting us through this week, the good and the bad. And we want to thank you that um, we have life and opportunity and safety here. But we want to pray for those in Russia and Ukraine um, and other parts of the world, Father God, where there's conflict, where there's suffering, um, where there's violence and oppression. And we pray that you would use us as hands and feet to do our part in alleviating the suffering and pain of others, that you would draw near to those in need. And Father God, every time we we face challenges, we're reminded that we're in a world that is broken. But Father God, you are the God of redemption. And so we come to you for healing and for salvation. Um, and we just pray, Lord, that we can participate in the work of bringing about um, restoration. We want to pray for those who are sick or in pain, Lord. You know who they are. We pray that you would um, provide healing and comfort um, and that, Father God, we'd be able to continue to journey with them um, through their suffering and and um, help share the load, Lord. I want to thank you for the birthdays. Um, pray that you bless Janice and Patience for another year of life. Um, and for anyone else who's who's having birthdays or special occasions or anniversaries, um, that this would be a time for them to celebrate um, the gifts, the good gifts you have given to them. And Father, we want to pray that as we um, finish our series on the teachings of Jesus for now, that um, your Holy Spirit would inspire us to live out what we have learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're looking at um, the last part. This is part seven of Jesus' teachings. And of course, there's so much more that Jesus said and taught, um, not just you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, but throughout the whole Bible, and of course, ongoing um, what Jesus teaches us every day. So we've only scratched the surface, but I hope that the series has inspired and challenged you um, to to reflect on the teachings of Jesus and how we can live them out. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So it's one thing to hear and to know and understand the teachings, right? We've gone through six of them, but How do we actually live them out? And this is how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. This is the last part of Jesus' sermon. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is a challenging teaching, right? Because 
It's quite confronting to think that we can do things for God, speaking in His name, performing miracles in His name, without actually doing the will of God. That it's possible to spend time in church, but never really know God. It's, it's like when you're subscribed to an influencer on social media. You see their pictures, you read their posts, you might even share their content. But do you really know them? Christianity is not supposed to be a consumer or a spectator religion, where you watch and you listen, but you don't participate or engage on that personal level that changes you. And Jesus calls his followers to an intimate and personal relationship. And look at this metaphor he uses to describe this kind of interaction. I read this last time, but I want to kind of delve into it a bit more today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, Jesus lived in an agricultural society, which we, most of us, no longer do. And so, um, it's kind of hard for us to picture sometimes this metaphor. And so, you know, a yoke is often used to um, place two oxen together to plow the field. And if, if there's a new ox that's never done it before, they would yoke it with an experienced and mature one. And this wooden instrument called the yoke connects them together. So they have this job to do, right, to plow the field. And if, you know, the, the, the young one who's never done this before who, and who's never experienced the yoke tries to kind of wander off to go play or to eat the grass or, you know, just to go off path, the older, more mature, experienced ox would kind of stand firm so that as, as the younger one is kind of trying to pull away and realizes, oh, there's something that's keeping me here that he's, you know, he's kind of stuck with this other one. And then the older ox would take a step forward in the direction that they're supposed to go gently kind of guiding the younger one to follow suit. And it takes time and, um, you know, multiple tries, but eventually the younger one gets it and the two of them plow the fields together. And Jesus says he uses this metaphor to invite us into a partnership with him where he says, hey, are you feeling exhausted trying to reach some impossible standard, right? He says, I know you're weary and unhappy. Take my yoke, my teachings upon you. Learn from me. And he says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. In other words, he's not going to be plowing ahead and dragging us along. He says, I'm gentle. I'm humble, right? I don't show off what I can do. I don't, I don't just forge ahead at my pace. I'm going to really cater to you so that you can find rest for your souls. Because there's something about doing the will of God that's, that's just for you, that brings incredible peace to your soul. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be thinking, what? Jesus' teachings are not easy. Right? I mean, in this series alone, we saw his teachings on loving our enemies, not judging, treating people that you want to be treated. These are all incredibly hard things to live out. I know for sure I have tried many times and failed, especially this past week. 
So what does Jesus mean that it's that his yoke is easy? Well, it all goes back to that invitation, right? Where Jesus says, come. He says, come. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they all said, do. But Jesus said, come. It's a vastly different invitation. Because one is saying, you go and, and, and you do it. But here Jesus is saying, just come. I know you're exhausted. I know you failed. I know you're, you're, you're burnt out. I know that you feel like giving up. And Jesus says, just come. Come to me. Come to me. He says, I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Be yoked to me, right? Partner with me. Join me. And just, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to go gentle. I'm going to go at your pace. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. You know, our boys, um, they used to have separate bedrooms. But every night, they would sneak into each other's rooms um, and we would find them cuddling together in, in, in one bed, sleeping together. So we said, all right, well, what's the point? Let's, let's put the beds um, in the same room and you guys can share the room, which they were really excited about. And so that meant we had to, um, you know, move, move all the beds, well, move Micah's bed into Josh's bed. And so then it's a, it's, it's a big feat because this is not just a little single bed. We had uh, gotten these loft beds, um, since the rooms, you know, to make more space. Um, so it's built in drawers and a little mini wardrobe and shelves. And so it's like this big thing. And so Roy, um, and I have to move that from, from Micah's room to Josh's room. And Mike and Roy did most of everything like the disassembly and, uh, but there was one part that we, we were going to move without disassembling it. And so he asked for help and I went over and I thought, can I do this? Cause it's huge and it's heavy. But the way that Roy lifted it was such that literally I only had to just make sure that one side didn't drag. That's really all I had to do. And so he basically lifted the whole thing and I just kind of made sure that one side didn't bang against the wall. And so we were able to pivot it and move into the other room. And I think this illustrates really well um, for us modern, you know, um, thinkers who are not living in an agricultural society, um, this idea of, of partnership, right? That as long as I was moving um, in the same direction that Roy was moving, right? Then I'm actually cooperating in the process and makes the job a lot easier for me. Right. And so, yeah, it took effort, but it was easy for me because he's doing most of the lifting and I just had to follow his lead and make sure that I, I was going in the direction and at the pace that he was going. And of course, he was making sure that he wasn't going too fast for me. Right. There's a partnership here. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this yoke being easy. The word easy in the original Greek actually means well-fitting well-fitting, gentle, and kind, and benevolent. In other words, that yoke that was, that was joining the oxen together, um, it wasn't restricting, wasn't rough, it was well-polished, there's plenty of space, it's gentle and kind and customized, right? So that the experience is as, is, is, um, as smooth as possible. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, I've got a customized, personalized discipleship journey that I want to have with you. I'm going to go at a pace that's right for you. So just stay with me, right? Come, stay with me. 
and go at the pace that I'm taking you, go in the direction that I'm taking you step by step. He doesn't force this on us. Not only does he invite us to come, but then he says, take, take the yoke yourself, right? He's not going to put it on us. He says, hey, do you want to learn from me? Take it up, right? Decide for yourself. Choose to live out what I want to teach you and show you. Every day we have that choice. You know, Micah's been learning the piano for a few years and we really like his teacher because he doesn't, you know, just go through the lessons and, and push him to the next level just for the sake of progressing him. He really listens to, you know, what kind of songs Micah likes and he goes at the pace that Micah can go. He knows that that Micah might need something more than just reading the music. So sometimes he get, they all get in the floor and they play a game on the floor that have to do with rhythm and, and beats. And Micah really enjoys that. And so the teacher, because he knows Micah and because he knows how to teach, right? He knows how to go at the pace that Micah can go, but he also knows when to push him. And so he'll ask, was that easy? And if Micah says, yeah, then he'll say, okay, well, let's, Try challenge now, right? Let's push a little bit further so that we can grow and we can learn. And of course, if Micah doesn't practice in between these lessons, no matter how good the teacher is, he's not going to progress as well. That daily discipline of practice, even if it's just five minutes, that's what makes a difference. You know, it's interesting because when, when Micah's practicing, sometimes he gets frustrated when he makes a mistake. And he doesn't like making mistakes. And I have to remind him, hey, that's why it's called practice, right? We, we make mistakes when we're practicing. And that's okay. Because every day we're going to practice and practice until it gets easier, right? Until it, gets, uh, it comes more naturally. Because the more you do something, right, the better it gets. And of course, once we kind of master that song, there's another one. So then you have to learn all over again. So it doesn't ever stop but the good news is that you are actually, your skills are improving, right? So even though it feels for the student like a series of failures, because I, you know, because you practice, 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 get it wrong, get it wrong, get it right, and then you move on to a new song, get it wrong, get it wrong, and then get it right, right? So it feels like you're failing all the time. But in actuality, you actually are improving, right? It's a big picture kind of zooming out moment. Sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves when we fail to live up to Jesus' teachings. But remember that we are still learning, right? And Jesus gets that. He understands that with some things, it's going to take a lifetime to learn. But he invites us to practice anyway. That's why he says, come, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Don't give up, right? Trust him. Trust the process. And this is so important. Don't compare yourself with others. Because they've got their own well-fitted, customized yoke. They're going on a different field. They have a different mission. But just focus on the pace that God wants you to go. I think it's so easy to compare ourselves, um, you know, in our careers, as parents, as, you know, um, individuals, on our appearances, on our successes, on our wealth, on how good we are at something. But Jesus says, hey, come and focus. You know, when you're on that yoke, your eyes... You can't get diverted. You can't turn around and look and see what the other oxen are doing. Just keep your eyes focused, moving forward, um, going at the pace that Jesus is calling you to go. 
you know, our two kids are at different stages and ages, um, heights, abilities, personalities, and preferences. And so we customize our expectations of them accordingly, right? And now that Joshua has a broken wrist, we have to help him to do some things that before he was able to do independently. God knows our personal weaknesses. He knows where we are hurting. And so he's gentle and patient as he helps us through um, those you know, areas of our lives and, and our characters and, and um, where we need extra help. God understands that. He's patient. You know, if it takes a broken wrist, the doctor told him he was in a cast for like six weeks. Altogether, he'll be in a cast six weeks. And then after that, the doctor said six more weeks, um, you know, kind of in a brace where he still can't do normal activity. And so then altogether, that's 12 weeks for a broken wrist. Imagine with a broken heart or, you know, um, an addiction or something else that's in our heart that we feel like is a weakness or um, an area that is hurting and in pain. It's going to take time. We have to be patient and remember that God is patient with us. What are some of the barriers to living out Jesus' teachings and how can we overcome them? Jesus shared this parable, once again, um, agriculture society. And so Jesus shared this with the people. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now Jesus often spoke in parables, but he didn't always explain them. This one he explained, and we have it recorded uh, in Matthew and Mark also. And here he explains what the parable means. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those who, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Jesus identifies some of the barriers to us being able to live out our faith. Some of the reasons why we don't want to be yoked to Jesus. First of all, Satan diverts us from the word of God, right? And so um, the word of God doesn't even have a chance to be planted because we're not even reading it. We're not paying attention to it. It's just not in our radar. Secondly, we might hear God's word, but there is no depth or root to it because we're not actually thinking about it and meditating it upon it and, and taking it in. We hear it in one ear, out the other kind of a thing. And also, because there is no depth and root when troubles come, right? We revert back to um, our old ways of thinking. 
are our patterns. Also, the worries, the riches, and pleasures choke out the growth of that word of God in our lives. So how can we remove these barriers? And so now we're kind of reviewing the teachings of Jesus that we've been doing for the past few months. Remember, first, we admit that we need help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at how when we recognize that we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, um, that that is exactly what enables God to fill us. And so that first step um, to have living out the teachings of Jesus and, and having the word of God really bear fruit in our lives is to admit that we need him, right? Admit that we need him. And then, of course, then we pray. We pray um, not just a laundry list of what we want from God, but we spend time listening to him, having that quiet, unhurried time where we tell him what is on our hearts and minds, where we sit with him and listen to the Holy Spirit convicting us, right? First, there might be silence, but then there is this conviction that comes from God where he, he brings to mind people and things and circumstances and actions and ultimately his will that he wants us to, to, um, to live out that day, right? That one step that he wants us to do. We sit in prayer with God where we confess our sins, where we ask for the ability to love our enemies, right? Where we confess and, and reconcile with those um, that we can um, before we try to just brush it aside and let that resentment and bitterness grow in our hearts. Prayer time is, is not just about, you know, telling God what we want God to do for us, but it's a time where we allow God to mold our hearts so, what, so that we can do for God, so that we can leave that place of prayer ready and willing to make his kingdom come, to make his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's that prayer time with God, but we really are spending that personal time with God. That's what grows the root. You know, um, when you look at a plant or a flower, we can't see the roots because it's underground. And in the same way, our Christian experience and our Christian life, that prayer, that quiet time with God is are the roots. No one else knows, right? No one else knows how deep your roots are. Only It's only between you and God. But it's that root that's going to maintain you during the time when there is no rain, during the time when, when things are tough, right? When, when there is testing and trials and temptations, it's that personal time with God that's going to enable you to stand strong. Third, we also listen, read, meditate on the word of God. Because, you know, in the book of James, we just finished looking at it through the Daily Nuggets. The book of James says that the word of God is like a mirror. And it shows us our true condition and it shows us the, the condition of the world, the reality. And so that we can look in the mirror and see the plank in our own eyes before we try to take out a speck in someone else's eyes, right? We talked about not judging. And the way that we do that is by going to the word of God and seeing the truth, seeing the reality of who we are and who others are in the eyes of God. Fourth, we live for his kingdom rather than success or security, right? We seek God and his kingdom first over trying to store up treasures here on earth. And we practice kingdom living in spiritual communities where we treat each other the way that we want to be treated, 
where we encourage and affirm and inspire each other to live out his teachings. And we do this within, remember we talked about this last time, we do, we do this within boundaries, that God wants us to have boundaries, but he wants us to um, always look at the boundaries of not just what do we have to do, right? What's just enough, but rather what does it mean? What does God want me to do? And sometimes God may want us to push a boundary. And sometimes God may want us to, to think outside the box of how we can treat someone else. And so there's that challenge of um, treating people the way that we want to be treated with the, with the values of love, but also of wisdom and discernment. And all this comes together, right? Through prayer, the word of God, living in, in spiritual community and treating each other um, the way we want to be treated um, by humility, right? Constantly um, reminding ourselves of who we are. Um, all of this together creates that fertile soil where that word of God can be planted and can grow and bear fruit. And if you go back to that uh, last verse in Luke chapter 8. It says that that good soil, right? The seed that falls on this good soil that's been fertilized and, and has that good uh, environment by everything that we've just talked about. It says, the seed that falls on this good soil are those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And that's kind of the last ingredient, right? The seventh ingredient um, is perseverance. And, and it's perhaps one of the most important ingredients because if we try to live out Jesus' teaching for one day and then, or a month or a year, I mean, we give up. Like I said, you know, oh, it's hard. We don't feel like we see progress. Um, it feels too difficult. We give up. Then, yeah, we're not going to bear fruit. I mean, I... Um, someone gifted us a lemon tree and I was so excited. I'm like, oh, lemons. It'll be great to have lemons. Well, guess what? Trees take years to grow. <laughs> and so, um, and, and, and not just that, but they need a lot of care and attention. And, um, I, I have such a black thumb. And so I, I never got to see a lemon from that lemon tree. Um, and I look at the trees that are around us and, you know, for a tree to go, grow from a, a planted seed to a fruit bearing tree, you have to be very patient, right? It takes a long time. You're not going to see results straight away. Perseverance is such an important part of living out Jesus' teachings. This week, I don't know if you saw in the news, um, the report that a ship named Endurance was found under the Antarctic ice. A ship that had gone down 106 years ago. I was really excited when I saw this. Um, I think it was on Wednesday. It was in the, in the, in the age. I was so excited because one of Micah's favorite evening um, bedtime stories is the story of Ernest Shackleton. And we read, we have read this story to him so many times. And so as soon as I saw, as I saw that um, article title, The Ship Endurance by Shackleton Found, I was like, oh, can't wait to show Micah. And the story uh, is this. It's, it's an incredible story. So Ernest Shackleton um, was an explorer who did multiple explore, exploration trips um, 
But one of the, one of the most famous ones, um, is that in, on December 5th, 1914, Ernest Shackleton, um, took two lots of men, um, but 28 men on the ship Endurance, and they sailed from South Georgia Island to explore Antarctica. So huge expedition. But as soon as they arrived, I mean, from the moment they started out, they faced obstacle after obstacle. The sea was filled with blocks of ice that banged against the ship. And the ice just kind of froze and closed in. And the ship just could not move forward or backwards. So from January 18, I'll show you a picture here. So here's the ship. This is the ship Endurance, just frozen in with ice and um, so from January 18 till October 27, that's a long time, right? That's 10 months. The ship is just stuck. It's drifting with the ice. And on October 27th, finally the pressure crushed the ship. And so they had to abandon the ship and they all managed to get off the ship. They took some, they took, uh, food, tents, sledges and, and their small lifeboats and they got off the ship and the ship, um, sunk. All right. So goodbye ship. That was 106 years ago. Now you would think, oh, they would have gone back. Well, so now they are, don't have a ship to, to, to be able to return to safety. And so they lived on a block of floating ice for months in sub-zero temperatures with the ice cracking beneath them. So one night it split under Shackleton's tent. He managed to jump up just in time to um, prevent falling into the water. Another time, the ice split under someone who did fall into the water, wrapped up in his sleeping bag, and was rescued just before a killer whale got to him. So then they're floating these men on this very treacherous, cracking, you know, piece of ice for five and a half months. And, and this is a picture of, you know, this is how they lived in these, in these little tents. That's all they had for shelter. And uh, limited food and supplies. Five and a half months, they lived like this. And then finally, the little, uh, they decided, well, there's no hope here. We have to do something. We're going to risk it. So they launched three of the, the lifeboats that they had and they landed on after sailing for a while. They landed on this desolate, um, uninhabited rock covered, ice covered rock, I should say. Um, called Elephant Island. Okay. So they land here, but there's nothing here. Um, and they know that they need to get help. And so here Shackleton left 22 of the men who are too weak um, and too sick to continue. He selected five of the strongest. And so there's six men total um, in that tiny little lifeboat. They launch out to get help. <laughs> so then they sail 1,300 kilometers through icy waves and storms with little to eat or drink or keep warm. And after 17 days and nights, they finally reached South Georgia, but discovered that they were on the wrong side of the island, the side with the icy mountains. And rather than risk going back out into the sea, they decided to climb the icy mountains, but three of them were too weak. So now they go from six men to, to half of them, three of them, um, stay behind there to rest while the strongest three, including Shackleton, climbed over the snowy mountains to get to the other side of the island um, to get help. 
So finally, Shackleton and the other two men make it to the whaling station on the other side of the island. Can you imagine the joy they must have felt? Then they um, sent a ship to go rescue the three men on the other side of the island. And then immediately Shackleton tries to go rescue the men, the 22 men left behind on Elephant Island. Now, it sounds like, you know, all they have to do is get in a ship and go rescue them. But the weather here is so bad, so cold, that when Shackleton, um, you know, and a few men went on the ship, the borrowed ship, to go and, and sail, to go to Elephant Island, the ice and the weather blocked them in again. So they had to turn around and go back. He borrowed a stronger boat and went out. And with only 20, um, you know, little kilometers left to go, he had to turn back around due to the conditions threatening to crush the ship. Third time, he goes back out. And again, so close to Elephant Island. Um, once again, the ship gets iced in and he has to turn around. Finally, okay, fourth attempt on August 30th. Finally, those 22 men on Elephant Island who have been waiting on that desolate island for four and a half months, finally they saw Shackleton and his ship coming to rescue them. Can you imagine? How did they endure four and a half months of being there, wondering if Shackleton and his five men had made it across to get help? And if they did, when they would come back, right? Whether, whether they would ever be rescued. Freezing elements, scarce food and water. How in the world did they survive? Frank Wilde was left in charge of the marooned men while Shackleton had gone to, you know, on this rescue mission. And um, according to the records, Frank Wilde would say every day, he would get up, roll up his sleeping bag and say, get your things ready, boys. The boss may come today. And, 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 you know, he was a very optimistic man. And every day he would say this to, to the 21 men with him. Get your things ready, boys. The boss may come today. And so he kept that hope alive in their hearts. And so the incredible story is that all 28 men, right, who started out on this initial journey survived, which is incredible, despite all the odds. And so it's an incredible story of perseverance of endurance. And so this week, you know, here's the, um, after 106 years, a team that were searching for this ship discovered it 3,000 meters under the ice, six kilometers from its last known location, the ship Endurance of Ernest Shackleton. What a legacy of perseverance. You made me feeling today that you've been through storm after storm, whether it's trials or temptations, you may be feeling like giving up. I want to encourage you to persevere because our captain is coming back to rescue us. Keep walking the walk, keep practicing living out the teachings of Jesus because he is coming. He's coming. When the disciples were asking Jesus, hey, when is the end of um, age going to be? What will be the signs of your coming? 
what is going to be at the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The past few years have definitely been troubling. right? Bushfires, the global pandemic, we've had an earthquake, we've had flooding, we have war happening right now in Ukraine. And Jesus says, life is going to get harder, right? These are the signs of the end. And he says, but the end is not yet, right? These are just the beginning of things to come because we live in a world that um, is filled with sinful people making selfish choices that are destroying the earth, that are destroying each other. And so all of these are the consequences, the natural consequences of human humanity's choices, and it's coming to a culmination point where it is getting increasingly worse. But Jesus says, don't be troubled, right? I know that these things are going to happen, but he says, I am coming. But first, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations. And he's asking us, do you want to come? Partner with me in plowing the field, in sowing the seed, in getting the good news out into the world. So that as many people as possible, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> so that as many people as possible can hear about Jesus and the peace that he offers, the purpose that he offers, the redemption that he offers beyond this broken world. And so that when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the world, right? And we're racing against um, time in a sense because it's like the ice is crushing in. The ice is crushing in. The elements are frigid and we have limited time to get onto the lifeboats and, and, and try to do our best to rescue others. And Jesus is saying, will you partner with me in this work so that when the end does come, as many people as possible can be saved. How amazing would it be if we have the record that Ernest Shackleton had of, of saving all his people? Jesus said this to us. Well, he said this to his disciples, but it, it's relevant for us as well. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can't give up now. We have work to do to share the work of the news of Jesus with the world. And to do that work, we need to partner with Jesus. Because he has walked the path before us, he knows the way. And so when we take his yoke upon us, we follow him in faith. So that even if we stumble, we get back up and we keep going. And somewhere in the falling and the getting back up, 
God's grace is sufficient to do something amazing in us and through us and for us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. One of the first Christian missionaries, Paul, says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to all who belong to the family of believers. Right? Over and over again, the message is, don't give up. Right? Things are going to get hard. Life is going to be challenging. And it's going to feel like there's no progress. It's going to feel like the ice is caving in. It's going to feel like um, God is far away or that you can't change. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. Come on to me. You know, I know you're exhausted and tired of trying to survive on your own. Come on to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I am gen- gentle and humble in heart. And you will have rest for your souls. I've been having daily prayer <clears throat> with a group um, every day who at the end of each prayer um, meeting recite this passage that has become an anchor that I am clinging on to as I face challenges of my own. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I believe that Jesus can do so much more than we can even imagine. For you, for me, for our church, for our world. And I pray that you too may believe this and join with me in persevering and partnering with Jesus to practice our faith and to proclaim the good news that Jesus is coming soon. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to endure. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep practicing your teachings, your truths, even when it feels like there's no progress, even when it feels like Everything's going against us. Help us to believe that if we follow you at your pace, the direction you've set out for us, your customized will for our lives, that as we say yes to that, and as we do your will, Father God, that we can finish the work of sharing the good news and that we can bring about peace for the world, Lord, through your salvation, through your redemption, through your plan. And Father God, the world is troubling right now. There's a lot of things in our personal lives and um, around the world that's happening that can trouble us. But Father, we do ask for your peace, knowing that you have a plan, knowing that you have work for us to do, um, to do something. And Father, we pray for for that courage, that wisdom, and that discernment, and, 
and most of all that patience to be able to partner with you and teach us, Lord, every day to walk in your steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.